Hello, friends, and welcome or welcome back to the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. I'm so glad that you are here. If you are new, my name is Mallory, and I am a registered dietitian. Today, I am joined by my cat, Mr. Otis. If you have listened to other episodes, you would be aware that he is definitely a part of of the podcast. And today he's decided to accompany me in the closet because every single time I try to close the door, he gets upset and keeps clawing at it. So, you know, currently in front of me, I will try to get a video. Let me see. Where is my phone? I cannot find it. There it is. Right now he is crawling underneath the blanket. Yep, I got a video. I'm so glad you guys are going to be able to witness this along with me. That's not what we're talking about today, though, believe it or not, because this podcast is a place where we sift through diet culture trends, influencers, diets in general, rules, and I give you the real deal information on whether it's legit or not. And more than anything, help you to answer the question, of how do I want to include this into my life? I always say in this podcast, there's no right or wrong. My opinion is just an educated opinion as a dietitian, and the research that I present to you and the things that I share are yours to use to decide what you think about them. And this topic is one that whenever I've posted about it on social media, there is a lot of opinions. So it's a good one to preface that with. Before we dive into this, though, I do want to make a quick announcement because my program, Live Unrestricted, which is a 16-week program that completely transforms your relationship with food, body image, and exercise, is now on pre-sale. This is a huge deal because the program will never be the price that it is now again. You are saving hundreds of dollars by getting in at the limited spots that we have at pre-sale before the price will go up for every other program ever to happen again. So if you are interested in this, there will be a link to apply down below. There's tons of information about it on the site, and I don't want to make this too long, but also feel free to DM me with any questions you have. We've had hundreds of women go through this program, and the results that they've seen have been incredible, and these are the same tools that I used as well in my recovery, so I'm so excited to share this with you. The pre-sale is only open for the next five days, so this is the time to apply. And so now for the topic reveal, which is sugar addiction. It's so funny because I think that every time I reveal the topic for the week, it feels like this big thing, like you guys are watching it or listening to it live with me, but then I realize that you literally look at the title. It's not like it's some secret. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's fun. It's fun to feel like there's a big reveal, but let's just get into it now. There's a lot of things that go into the idea of not only sugar, but addiction and sugar addiction put together. And food addiction is something that is often discussed, not even just around the topic of sugar, but that's too big of a topic to really dive into, honestly, today. So I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of sugar addiction specifically. I've seen this topic really surge in popularity on TikTok and Instagram and just social media overall lately. I feel like it's a very trendy 
diet, rule, whatever you want to call it. And it's important to really dive into the facts around this, which if you are new to the podcast, you may not know. I do a mix of different episodes where some are a lot more scientifically based because there's a lot of research surrounding it, such as a topic like this. So there will be a lot of research articles that I'm referencing, definitions that we talk through, as well as what your guys' opinions are and my opinions. But there are other topics that I do that are a little bit more conversational, a little bit more opinion-based, presenting both sides. And you'll be able to see those on this podcast as well, such as the Strong Not Skinny movement or something along those lines. So I really like this because I don't feel like a lot of people actually share the science to go against these doctors or nutritionists that are sharing these really big claims around sugar addiction. I do think that to be able to talk about sugar addiction, though, we need to find addiction and sugar. Seems simple, but honestly, How do you even know what sugar addiction is if you don't know the true definitions of these things? So addiction, according to the American Psychiatric Association, defines addiction as a complex condition, a brain disease that is manifested by compulsive substance use despite harmful consequence. I also know that that sentence was a little bit roundabout, but I do think you guys got the point. Now, sugar, by definition, is sucrose, which is a disaccharide made up of two sugars, glucose and fructose, bound together. It is naturally made by and found in all green plants. Sugar found in the food supply, though, so what we typically eat, is harvested from sugar beets and sugar cane. So you can have cane sugar, which you guys may even see in the store, right? Cane sugar can be those more granulated, larger clumps of sugar, or it can be cane sugar that has been refined into white sugar. And then beet sugar, I don't know if that's something that is used the same way in the grocery store, but I know it's used in especially the creation of different food products and stuff that we can buy. I don't know that specifically, but I just wanted to kind of share that difference in case you were curious. Now, The thing about sugar is it's also called glucose, right? So when we think about sugar in the body, we give it the name glucose, and glucose is what is used to make energy for every single cell in your body. And whenever you put a food into your body, whether that be a carbohydrate, a fat, or a protein, it will be broken down into some form of glucose that will be converted to ATP, which is the body's usable source of energy. Something about sugar that people talk about often is the idea of blood sugar as well. And so you may be curious, what is blood sugar then? And and how is it different? Is, Is sugar in the same form in your blood as it is when you're eating it outside your body? Yes and no, right? So the amount of sugar in your blood is what makes up the word blood sugar because sugar has to be transported throughout your body for energy and it's done so within the blood. Now you can have high blood sugar and you can have low blood sugar. A lot of the time I feel like we think of blood sugar as this negative and oh my gosh, like we don't want to have that. We don't want to have blood sugar that's all messed up. But the thing is, is it can go both ways. If you have low blood sugar, that's when you typically will feel faint, right? Or if you have high blood sugar, That's when we can talk about hyperglycemia 
and diabetes, and there's a whole conversation that can go into this. But it's really not so simple, the even idea of blood sugar in itself. So I'm really just skimming over it today, but I actually did get a request from one of you guys to talk about the whole idea of blood sugar fluctuations because there's a lot of conversation that goes around on balanced meals and sugar consumption in regards to blood sugar. So if you would like an episode on that, shoot me a DM. I make podcasts all the time from your guys' DM suggestions, and that is at Mallory J. Page on Instagram, but it's always linked down below as well. Now, the thing about our body is it's incredibly smart and it has adapted to be able to send us signals all the time about what we need. But when we are not really listening to those symptoms or those signals, I mean, we can get symptoms that don't make us feel our best. Let me give you an an explanation of what I mean. So when your body is low on energy, right? So this means you haven't eaten in a while. Maybe you woke up and you know, you were hungry even last night, and so it's carrying into today, it's pretty natural that your body craves something with carbohydrates. The reason why this is, is because sweet things or carbohydrate-dense things are very easy to break down. It's your body's most usable energy source. And yes, I know that the people in keto always talk about how you just haven't adapted and you just need to switch to fat adapting. That's a whole other podcast episode as well, but The research behind that is not strong. I'll just say that. And normal people like ourselves, we use glucose, carbohydrates as a number one energy source, easiest to break down, easiest to use. So that's just a really quick source of fuel. And that's why you crave that. This is especially why if you don't get a lot of sleep one night, or if you've been studying really hard, or you've done a lot of activity that day, you could have increased cravings for sugar or carbohydrates. Not saying that's a bad thing. I just want to give you guys a little bit of, you know, the facts on why that could happen. Now, there is something to be said in relationship to blood sugar, sugar consumption, and how you eat sugar. When it comes to carbohydrates, we have two different types of carbohydrates. So we have simple carbohydrates, and then we have complex carbohydrates. Simple is similar to what it sounds like. It's very easy to break down because it's just the carbohydrate itself. So an example of that would be cane sugar. Now, on the other hand, we have complex carbohydrates that have fiber in them, and this will affect the way that it's broken down because it's more complex and it's harder to break down that fiber than it is the normal sugars. So when you think about this, that's why a marathon runner would use a goo that is just simple carbohydrates during their run versus using a complex carbohydrate like rice because it wouldn't be as easy for them to break down. The reason why I even bring this up is because often when we're talking about sugar and sugar addiction, people are making the differentiation between these two things and they want to share about how when you eat simple carbohydrates, if you eat them by themselves, they can cause more of a blood sugar spike because they are just on their own and easier to break down. This can be advantageous or it can be something that people are really telling you to avoid. When you pair fiber with it, if it's already in there, then you don't even have to pair it. But if it's in there or if you're pairing it with that, a fat or a protein, it can change the blood sugar response. 
Now that we've got those two out of the way, there's one last thing that I want to preface this conversation with, and then I swear we'll get into the nitty-gritty. And this is the enjoyment aspect of food and or dopamine. So in order to understand why people think sugar is addicting, we have to talk about this because it's the hormone slash neurotransmitter that plays a really big role in this conversation. Dopamine is the feel-good hormone, for lack of a better term. And when you eat, most people release dopamine, which rewards the brain and it encourages the brain to want to eat again. If we did not have this, there would be no reward for eating and thus no motivation to eat food and stay alive. That's why it's an important mechanism. That's something I always want to mention is that every mechanism in the body always has a purpose. It's not just developed for no reason or developed to be a negative or something that works against us. Now, an interesting fact that I just want to share as an aside is for people with anorexia nervosa, they typically actually do not get this release of dopamine when they eat, and it actually can be released instead when they restrict or when they take part in harmful behaviors, which is fascinating. And if you're dealing with this, just remember that that's something to give yourself grace around. I'm not saying to not change when it comes to restriction, but just recognize that it is really tough to be trying to work against a literal scientific physiological system set up in your body. Now that we've got all of these pieces, the addiction piece, the blood sugar piece, sugar and enjoyment and dopamine, let's talk about the study that started it all. I am not saying that this is the only study that speaks to this topic, But this was the study that I feel like created the drama of beginning this trend. And it was done in 2018. It's called Sugar Addiction. Is it real? Question mark. A narrative review. And what they wanted to talk about is that sugar addiction seems to be a dependence to the natural endogenous opiate endogenous, 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 Can you ever just get stuck on a word and then you like try it over and over again and every time you try it gets worse? Opioids that get released upon sugar intake. They said that both in animals and humans, the evidence in the literature showed substantial parallels and overlaps between drugs of abuse and sugar from the standpoint of brain neurochemistry as well as behavior. This is the study. I will link it for you. It's not a free research study, so you can't see the whole systemic review, but there are a lot of articles that they utilize that you can look through. And their whole claims that they made were that, number one, there are significant similarities between sugar and drug-like effects such as binging, craving, tolerance, withdrawal, dependence, and reward. Number two, They claim that sugar alters mood and can induce reward and pleasure in the same way that drugs such as cocaine can affect the brain. The study that they cite for this is one in which rats preferred sugar to cocaine, and they also experienced sugar withdrawal symptoms. And their last claim is that there is no aversion signal to sugar. So they compare this to salt which salt has a built-in safety mechanism that protects us from eating too much. And this isn't present with sugar. So people can eat a lot of sugar and they can still want more versus 
There are people that once they've eaten enough salt or versus when people eat enough salt, they don't want anymore. Something important that I would like to mention that I haven't seen a lot of people mention are the conflicts of interest in this study. So you may not be aware, but anytime someone does a study, they are required to name any conflicts of interest that they may have. I don't feel like a lot of the time people look at these things, and this is really big in science because a lot of the time, you know, the American Heart Association, right, could put out something about a supplement that they want you to use. I don't even know if the American Heart Association is a good example. Let's use a different one. A supplement company could put out a research study on a supplement that they made and say it's effective, but obviously there's a conflict of interest if that supplement company is the one that's funding the research article. You'll see this with the food intolerance test, Everlywell, or is it Everywell? they have conflict of interest in their study. And so in this study, they did name conflict of interest. And it is that the one of the guys that was involved in the study actually sells books that talk about nutrition. So he just put that it was the salt book that he has that was a conflict of interest. But I do feel like when you're selling a lot of books that speak a lot to nutrition and then putting out articles that agree with your opinion, you know, it's, there's definitely a little bit of a tie there. And then the other man that was a part of it, it wasn't as clear what his company was. I tried to do some digging and search it up, but he does own a nutraceutical company. I don't know what type of products they sell or what it's like because I couldn't find it. But again, something else to keep in mind with that. Something really interesting about this article is when it was put out, there was automatically a ton of debate and people were taking really strong stances for and against this idea. This is something that we see all the time in research. There is no way that you can specifically say someone is 1,000% wrong if someone else researches something and they find a different result. That's the tricky part about science. But what we can do is look at the efficacy and the sample size and the researchers, the conflicts of interest, and examine what we believe to be true based off of the research that they have. Now, I do want to mention and just make very clear that this article that I was mentioning is a review. So a review is actually research that takes a bunch of different studies that were already done and then puts them together to create somewhat of an opinion on them. So it's not the same as someone going into study rats and their addictiveness to sugar They're basically taking a study like that and then making concluding thoughts based off it and others. So this wasn't a study where they actually did that kind of like cause and effect. There's actually different names for all of these, but honestly, I was never good at remembering that in school and it seems boring, so we're not going to go through that. So this other opposing side that came out had a few things to say about the main reasons why they don't think this is true. So I'm going to give you those three ideas. Number one, they said that this only happens in restriction. Number two, 
They argue that there is a reward system in the brain that controls eating behavior, but unlike sugar, illegal drugs such as cocaine hijack those systems and turn the normal controls totally off, versus sugar does not do that. Number three, they argue that rats choosing sugar over cocaine in experiments is not surprising because they're animals and they will always choose substances that give them energy rather than cocaine, right? That's not actually giving their body energy. And animals are not as complex as humans, so they don't have those ulterior motives in the same way. And number three This one is just kind of funny, but it just states that there's basically no evidence on this, that sugar is addictive because of the fact that the systems just simply do not work the same as typical addiction. So now I'm going to explain these a little bit more and walk you through why they said these things. So let's first talk about point number one, which is the sugar is only addictive in regards to restriction. There are actually a lot of studies around this that you can find, but this one that I really liked is the one that I want to speak to, and it says this. Food restriction decreases baseline dopamine levels in efferent target sites and enhances dopamine release in response to rewards such as food and drugs. This essentially means that if you deprive yourself of food, your baseline dopamine levels will be low. When you do allow yourself that food, dopamine release is going to be huge and strongly reinforce the reward associated with this food. In layman's terms, this describes why if we restrict something, once we get it, it seems even better and we're going to want it even more than before. And that can feel similar especially because of that almost like out of control feeling or super euphoric feeling to an addiction to something else. I think this is also really interesting because I think this correlates to the whole idea of our body or our brain on drugs and how our brain, when we have drugs, it changes the dopamine level that we naturally have. But I would be curious to know if this is something that really happens in the long term. Because from what I understood from the study, this is only a short-term effect where if we restrict something over a certain period of time, then this happens. But you can allow this to go back to the same place. Because I think back to my eating disorder and I 100% felt this. I would restrict sugar and then when I had it, it felt like I was just so out of control and it was so amazing. I just could not get myself to stop. But now I don't feel that way at all. I mean, I remember even like as I was in recovery, craving like a breakfast wanted to be, I wanted my breakfast to be sweet. I wanted after lunch to be sweet. I wanted my snacks to be sweet. I wanted after dinner to be sweet. And now I just feel like I just crave sweets when I crave sweets, but it's, it's every so often or it's, you know, at night I crave it or whatever it is. So just some thoughts that I had about that versus with drugs, we've seen that if you use hard drugs in the long term, it will decrease your dopamine levels. It doesn't necessarily go back to the same place. So there's one other study that I want to talk about in regards to this because I think it's really interesting. It gets really specific too. And it takes rats 
And it shows exactly what type of restriction they are implementing in order to create this reaction. So let me just explain what it was like. The rats were deprived of food intake for 12 hours, and then they were given food in a sugar solution for the next 12 hours. So the rats learned to drink the sugar water in large amounts, especially right when it was offered to them after their restrictive period. They found that the rats who had the restrictive access to the sugar-like solutions had large dopamine sur surges when they were able to have access to the sugar. And they also exhibited binge-like behaviors when food was offered and high anxiety withdrawal symptoms once the food was taken away. This again shows how much restriction can affect your reaction to something and also the unhealthy relationship that can be caused by it, which is why I thought this was so fascinating because they spoke specifically to the anxiety that can happen when taking foods away, which talks so much about the scarcity mindset and so many different things that we discuss. So I just thought that was really, really interesting. There are a lot of other studies too that really spoke to how there's high dopamine surges in rats that were food deprived. And of course, you have to keep in mind, yes, most of these studies are done on rats because they can't ethically do these to humans. And that was another really interesting part. And I was searching everywhere on the internet to find this, and I don't know why I couldn't find it. But this, there's one study that was used in that systemic review that speaks to how much sugar they were giving these rats in order to have this addictive response. And it was insane. It was like 100 times the amount that we have in the day-to-day, -day, even in a more westernized diet. So that's kind of the interesting thing about any study that's done on animals or rats is that they can give things in such larger concentrations than we would ever have as humans. So it can make the efficacy of the study a little bit confusing. With all of this being said and the points that we had before... I think it makes it pretty clear that although there are points on both sides, we don't have the specific answer to the fact that sugar is just addictive. And the thing that is important about that is all of the people that I have at least seen that talk about sugar being addictive have one response that they share in regards to what you should do about that sugar addiction, which is completely take it out. Cut out all sugar. And I so strongly disagree with this because of not only everything that was said in terms of how restriction can affect it, but also because of the fact that I don't think that this is sustainable at all. And I get the entire argument that in especially the U.S., there is an intake of sugar in many areas and in many populations that is maybe not going to lead to everyone feeling their best. Or it can lead to places in people's bodies that aren't optimal for their health. And there's so much that we can dive into here. But what I really want to mention that I think is important is, is it actually the fact that sugar is addictive? Or is it the fact that there are social factors 
such as income, food access, education, and culture that actually contribute to the increased intake of sugar addiction. I think that what we like to do, especially in the U.S., is blame the food. It's always the food's fault and, oh, sugar is addictive or carbs are bad for you or fat is bad for you or whatever, yada, 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 yada. But it's so rare that we're actually observing the reasons why that could be happening outside of the food itself. And what I've seen is that the biggest factors that contribute to someone that is more reliant on sugar are all of these social factors that I just mentioned. Something that you guys may not know about me is I did my internship at the University of Oklahoma and I did my clinical internship in a town called Shawnee. I don't know how many people it was, but so little. It was the smallest town I've ever been in. It was only like an hour and a half away from Tiger King. If you guys remember that, throwback to the Tiger King obsession. And the people that were coming into the hospital were very, very similar to what you would see on a show like that. And something that was really, really sad that we dealt with a lot was we would have people come in that genuinely did want to eat more nourishing or get some help with their diabetes. But number one, they wouldn't have any education. And some of them, first of all, couldn't read and they couldn't write. So it was very hard for them to get that education. There were also many of them that were in extreme food deserts, some of which had to drive two hours even to get to a gas station grocery store, a gas station grocery store. And even the ones that had more access to things or maybe lived in a place that had closer access often didn't have cars. And so they had to walk anywhere that they wanted to get food. And let's just say best case scenario, they were somewhere that wasn't a food desert or they had access to more grocery stores. Most of them in that town were still very far away. Or when they got to the grocery store, they just had no idea what to get because they had never been taught what things were helpful to their bodies. And I can already hear people chiming in about, well, you know what? They should just be able to look on, you know, the internet. And there's so much information out there nowadays, blah, 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 blah. But it's just so much more complicated than that. And I just don't even think people understand, right? A lot of these people are on food stamps or their income will be really, really low. They don't have access to spend money on those type of things. And a lot of it too can be cultural. It's not just shifting what they buy. It's also shifting that for everyone that they may be around and their family and recognizing that some people may not like these things. And the reality of it is, if you can get a McDonald's Happy Meal for $5 that is actually filling and that gives you these dopamine releases versus getting something like broccoli that realistically could be the same price. I've literally seen this happen in a grocery store and you're trying to feed your full family, it's really hard to make that other choice. So I know that I ventured away a little bit from the sugar addiction piece, but it really all ties together because when it comes to sugar and when it comes to the foods that have a lot of sugar in them, they're also the foods that are the most easy to access 
they're the most satiable. Like they're something I don't think satiable is the right word. They're the most delicious. They're the things that people enjoy the most. And they're also a lot of the time the most filling. I know that it kind of doesn't make sense because you know, carbs aren't always filling when we think about the bigger picture and, you know, protein is the most satiating nutrient and all that stuff. But for other people, if they're going to have to compare to eat, you know, a bag of chips versus a bag of, or a a chicken breast or something along those lines, it, it may not feel as filling to them or it may not feel as filling for the enjoyment that they can get out of it. Now, I'm not trying to speak in blatant statement, blatant statements, but I also feel like it's important because I think many of us have never had the interaction with people that may live in these type of scenarios. And it really adds so much to the conversation to be able to discuss these things because research articles they don't speak to this. And it's really hard to take into account these social and environmental factors that play a huge, huge, huge role. So in my mind, are we really at the right angle if we continually just tell people that sugar is horrible and it's addictive and what you need to do is take it out? Or would we be better off actually increasing education around what foods have what things in them and how to eat in a way that makes you feel good and also helping to eliminate these large food deserts or bring more access to people that are in situations where they have a hard time getting these other foods that they may actually want? That's the conversation in my opinion. So a lot of you guys had stuff to say on this as well. I always like to get your y'all's opinion on, oh my gosh, I just opened it up and it's already, there's already a lot of thoughts. I like to get you guys' opinion on these things. So I can tell you that this was the most polarizing entry that I've ever had on a topic. So we had the people that were for it. So I had someone named Richard say, I've seen strong evidence to support the idea of sugar, the the idea that sugar is highly addictive and none contrary. Madeline says, I think I have a sugar addiction. Someone else says, feel like people can be a little bit dramatic about it but it's still real. Some people even just questioned the meaning of it as well. Another user says, kids are addicted to sugar while their kid ate four pieces of chocolate. Oh, I missed the first one on this. Someone said, "Hmm, I think it's kind of weird, especially when it's applied to kids. I legit hear their moms complain about their kid being addicted to sugar while they only ate four pieces of chocolate. So sorry, I missed that one. Taylor said, it's real. So, a lot of people had the for it, or they felt like it was a real thing. Then, there were also a lot of people that either questioned it, like I was saying, or they were against it. Mia said, sometimes I think it's just another diet culture making an excuse 
to make something bad for us. Abby said, I feel like people feel addicted when they get into a sugar restriction mindset. Sarah says, a result of sugar restriction, not a real addiction. Sam says, so dumb and toxic. (laughs) LMAO. The amount of times I've had to explain that this isn't a thing. Sophia says, sugar itself doesn't have addictive qualities, but when you restrict it, as soon as you eat it, you may overeat or binge because of restriction, but none of it has an addictive qualities itself. Diet culture. So those are just a few of the different things that people said, but also a lot of people just saying that it was really tough for them, that it made them feel really bad about themselves and question if they needed to take action on this. My opinion on all of this is... I personally, from the research that I have gone through, do not believe that sugar addiction is real. I think that our reward systems can be compromised by restriction, and I also think that there can be an over-reliance on sugar, especially in the American diet, because of sociocultural and environmental factors, as well as education that is not fully being met or that is affecting the way in which people engage in food. I think personally, as someone that has seen many addicts in my life, people that were addicted to alcohol, people that are addicted to drugs, there is no way to compare an addiction to sugar to an addiction to these things. And I think it's almost a little bit, I don't know what the right word is for it. Maybe harmful. I mean, think about what they're saying, guys. Really think about it. Imagine an addict in your life, or if you don't have an addict in your life, imagine shows or things that have depicted what this is like. An addict will literally go to any lengths to get their vice. I mean, let's even take Euphoria. I feel like everyone here has probably freaking watched Euphoria, right? Imagine Rue. Rue is addicted to drugs, all different types of drugs in the show. You saw her in friendships and relationships put her life at risk multiple times to get any type of drug possible. I have people I know in my family that have almost died multiple times. This is my extended family, no one that you would know. From actions like this. And yet we're acting like sugar is the same thing. Do you ever see someone literally sitting with a bag of sugar that they scavenge from the pantry, just eating it by the spoonful? Or people literally ruining their entire relationships just to get a chocolate cake piece? (laughs) I just think that it's taking it to such an extreme and it just screams diet culture to me. It makes us feel this extreme fear to foods that yes, we should be aware that sugar is something that may not make us feel 1000% if we are to eat it in amounts that don't feel good for us. But to compare that to drugs is just so ridiculous, in my opinion. 
there's this whole argument that I see about obesity and how, yeah, sugar can kill just as many people as drug addictions because of the obesity epidemic that we have, which I don't agree with the whole idea of the obesity epidemic. There's a lot of politics and things that have gone into that becoming an epidemic. But when you actually think about cause and effect, right, specific cause and effect, you cannot say that there have been as many deaths from sugar as there have been drugs. We literally have a crisis going on in the world right now of how many people are dying from fentanyl that has been put into cocaine or different drugs. And yet we're trying to say that this is the same as eating sugar? I just think sometimes we get really into the whole science piece of it, which I love. Like, I love the science piece. That's why I went through all of this. And I wanted to share that with you. But along with the science picture, we have to utilize that kind of common sense brain and think, is this really as addictive? And if you feel like you're addicted to sugar, I want you to think about if you've ever told yourself or felt like you needed to restrict sugar. Because even the anxiety piece that you may be feeling is proven within these articles that we talked about. When you restrict something, it makes you anxious. And so if you feel anxious around sugar, like you're going to lose control, again, it's probably because you restricted it. That's my opinion on it. But I gave you a lot to think about with this. And as I said, there's a lot of opinions on this one. So I hope that this was helpful in making your decision about how you really feel about sugar and what you want that to look like in your life. My personal tips around sugar would be to be mindful of how you feel when you have something, no matter what. This is like my go-to rule with everything. But if you have sugar in the morning, right? Let's just say you have waffles. And that's more of a simple carbohydrate, right? There's not a bunch of fiber in it. And you find yourself, you have that and you have fruit. Because yes, fruit is actually a simple carbohydrate. And so I don't even know why they act like it's so negative. Anyways, I'm going on a tangent. Let's say you have fruit and waffles and syrup. Maybe you have that and you just don't feel super energized. That could be a good time that you want to add in a protein to that even a nut butter, something really simple. And maybe you feel a big difference from that. Or you try a a whole grain waffle, something along those lines. Maybe you find yourself eating a certain dessert at night. And when you have that multiple times, it's not making you feel as good. Okay, that's cool. Let's be aware of that so that you can understand why it's coming up that way. But if you find yourself restricting And not just using the knowledge that you have around how something makes you feel. We can pretty much guarantee that that's going to end up being the thing that makes you feel out of control. So that would be my number one tip. My number two tip would be do not just say no to sugar. Because even if you're not looking at all the research stuff that we just talked about or my opinion or any of things... 
it's a part of life. And it's important to be able to go to the wedding and have the freaking cake. Or go get ice cream with your friends. I personally just think that finding that sweet spot of balance for you is what's most important. And I think that a life without the flexibility to be able to enjoy all things is just so not worth it. And this is coming from someone someone that has restricted this. And now is out on the other side. So for a rating with this one, I'm going to speak about it in terms of the idea of sugar addiction. And I think the idea of sugar addiction is... I keep going back and forth on what I really think it is. Honestly, I feel like it's an eight. I just don't feel like the research on the opposing side or the side that is for sugar addiction, I should say, is strong enough to sway my viewpoint that it is just purely diet culture. And that's what makes me put that rating. I know some people may not like that, but that's just my opinion again. You can have a different one than what mine is. Feel free to DM me what your thoughts even are. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review if you have time. It would mean the absolute world to me. And if you like the podcast or if you have ideas for the podcast, I would love to hear about it in my DMs. It makes my day whenever I receive a DM with a topic request or with just some thoughts that you have about it. If you feel like you found yourself listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, I am this person that is restricting and struggling with the restriction element of it and then feeling like I'm addicted to sugar, I cannot suggest enough joining in my program Live Unrestricted. As I was speaking to in the beginning, our pre-sale period is right now. You will never ever get this deal again because the podcast, podcast, the program price is going up forever after this. So you can click the link below to apply and I would love to be able to do, to review your application and we do free consult calls along with that as well. So I will see you guys next week. Thank you for being here and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day.